Yeah. Um, well, I guess to start, welcome to our listeners to the this episode of the Pine Pod. We are so glad to have Azar Hussein, uh, Dartmouth class of 2019, with us today. Um, Azar worked in the traditional finance space for some time after college before transitioning to um, full crypto with Commonwealth Crypto. So um, great to have you, Azar. And yeah, if you could kind of give a little more background on your or context on your background and um, some more kind of uh, some color there, that would be very helpful. Yeah, happy to, happy to. Um, in terms of my crypto journey, I uh, definitely started while at school at Dartmouth. Um, it was really the summer of 2016, 2017 um, that, uh, you know, we'd kind of seen a previous kind of hype cycle, bull cycle kind of run through. This is, you know, uh, ETH had just launched probably two, three years prior to this. Um, so, you know, it was a really interesting time to one look at you know what was possible via blockchain uh and it just expanded kind of the the surface area of what was even possible just given ethereum kind of the smart contract tooling this languages um i was a computer science major at school so naturally i was pretty uh pretty attracted to kind of this technological financial system uh at least the way i saw it um fintech or financial technology had been something that i've been very interested in uh, throughout school, that's kind of where I built my my final project in computer science, etc. Um, but really taking that to the next level with with crypto as you know, being one if traditional finances trying to build digital analogs uh, or digital you know counterparts for for more traditional analogs. Uh, crypto is kind of just a, a digital first solution, kind of rebuilt from the ground up, right? Without kind of the the technical debt or like the the archaic kind of limitations that traditional uh, finance brought over to a, you know, digital realm might pose. Um, so that was certainly, you know, kind of what, what piqued my interest, um, early on there, you know, just stayed busy and active in the space building, you know, interesting little side projects, et cetera. Um, the one we were most excited about, we'd call it Solaris. It was, uh, this was again, back in 20, I think this was late 2017. Um, we built essentially an NFT uh, uh, authenticity tracking platform for high-end luxury goods, kind of the thesis being, hey, you know, we have titles for real estate, you have it for, for cars, but you might have a piece of artwork that's worth more than a car that doesn't have any title or provenance, authenticity, et cetera, attached to it. Um, so, we, you know, we built that out, uh, launched with a few early customers, and we actually ended up applying to YC with it and uh, got to the interview stage there. And had a really good conversation with those guys. They wanted to see an implementation where we didn't have to work with any brands theoretically that we could, you know, theoretically stand this up on our own. Um, and about that same time, my co-founder got a, a job offer at JP Morgan and, and I got an offer at Goldman and uh, we ended up uh, going down the kind of the traditional banking route. Gotcha. But that was kind of my, my, my early, you know, uh, taste of crypto and then, uh, then jumped back to the TradFi world. Yeah, not very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, so... I, I am curious how you went from JP Morgan and then you went to Point72 Ventures. Goldman. Goldman, sorry. How you went from Goldman and then I know you did IB there and then mm -hmm. to Point72 Ventures. Like what exactly was the exploration there and how did that lead you back to crypto? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. Um, it was a bit, you know, circuitous, I'd say. Um, the Starting at Goldman, I was covering fintech companies out of the investment bank there. So again, you know, there was maybe a little bit of crypto, but again, this was pretty early. This was in 2019 uh, that 
there really wasn't much kind of appetite from the banks, at least to, to look at crypto companies is because there weren't that many scaled crypto companies at the time. So there wasn't a ton of, you know, M&A and kind of the traditional things that an investment bank might help a, a company with. Um, but following Goldman, you know, it was pretty early on in my career there that, you know, I realized, you know, it's really interesting skills. You're, you're, you're learning some interesting work, but at the end of the day, you know, I felt like I, I wanted to go out and apply a lot of the you know, the things that I've learned, whether that's the financial modeling and the financial aspects of the job, or if it was more even my computer science background. Uh, so ended up actually leaving to join an early stage fintech startup uh, called Arcus. Uh, was there with the team as their first biz ops hire. So that was a more kind of an operator role uh, and ended up staying with the team up until we were bought by MasterCard. Uh, so following the acquisition by MasterCard was when I went over to join the Point72 Ventures team uh, again, on their venture side, uh, investing in the early stage fintech companies. So, financial technology again, kind of that that constant theme throughout. You know that I've been I've been tracking and kind of building on. Um, and it was really at point seventy two that it was about a month or two into me joining that uh, Steve Cohen, our, our, our founder there, got very interested in crypto. So they looked around and said, "Who knows crypto?" And uh, and I was the guy for that. So. Uh, ended up leading all of our crypto deals there. We we put about 60 million bucks to work, backed a bunch of great founders, uh, Ryan at Masari, Ed at Zero Hash, uh, and more. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of the the transition, at least into crypto full time and, and specifically from the investing lens. Gotcha. And so like throughout your journey, especially when you were at Point72 and you were investing in crypto companies, I'm curious, like, how did your like thinking around crypto and like, what were you generally learning or like, yeah, like how was your thinking developing over time of like the important things in crypto and just like, yeah, your general perspective of how you thought about the space? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Uh, to be honest, crypto is just so big at this point, right? Especially if you use the term Web3, right? Like there's there's so much that can be condensed into this, whether that's like AR, VR, metaverse type stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, DeFi is a whole category of its own. Uh, and now you start to see like, you know, games and social applications, et cetera. So the space is, as a whole is obviously very large. Uh, I think we try to focus ourselves and, you know, a lot of credit to the guys there at uh uh, at point seventy two as well as we kind of thought through the the thesis and how to how to craft and where to spend time, uh, we we applied honestly a very similar lens in a way to uh, the strategy that we had been employing there, which was really trying to find solutions to problems by not going out and reaching out to founders and kind of doing the typical venture you know conveyor belt model, but instead. Uh, at Point72, we had very, very deep connections with all of the financial institutions, really, you know, whether that's the largest regulated financial institutions all the way down to, you know, the ability to get in touch with with really anybody kind of in that space. Uh, and of course, that network expanded out into financial technology, et cetera. So it was more so kind of speaking to those participants, right, and and learning what are your pain points when it comes to interacting with crypto or, or solving a problem that could be solved via crypto, and then using that to really grab our, our own diligence, our own sourcing, uh, and ultimately after we do invest our, our customer introduction and business development work, right? Um, you can see that like with Masari, it was a very early theme for us. It was, hey, as these asset managers look to invest, whether that's, you know, asset managers at the institutional side, or even if it's, you know, retail folks that are looking to get educated and, and invest, then research is obviously going to be a huge component of that, right? You see that in traditional uh, traditional financial markets as well. So you can see kind of the analog there. Of, okay, well, there's clearly a need here from these institutions. We can go ahead and invest in Masari. 
and then use our own kind of network to help Masari kickstart and, and, and continue to scale their business development efforts. And I know we well, we were able to work really closely with the team there. They were, they were an awesome group and uh, continued to get them into you know, larger names and more traditional kind of banks, et cetera. So you can kind of see that was a little bit of a playbook or the style of type of investing right. that we did. Um, so continue to, you know, as here at Commonwealth, continue to, to one, ground out in financial institutions for sure, but look beyond that into other verticals that are tangential or adjacent that also could apply crypto. For example, we've been spending a ton of time right now in uh, consumer uh, e-commerce, luxury fashion, uh, specifically around kind of the commerce apparel, apparel space. Yeah. And then just one more question on my end before, Charlie, you can have it, is... Um, you talked about like the institutional playbook and you guys have deep connections, which, you know, obviously makes sense because point 72 is like such a big player in the space. Um, I'm curious, like, especially with DeFi, do you think most of the, the growth will come from traditional institutions adopting blockchain or more of these like DeFi native projects? So for example, you have JP Morgan, they started this thing called Onyx, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I recently saw like T Rowe um, is doing something with Avalanche. And so you have a lot of traditional institutions trying to put more of their economic like transactions on chain. So is that where most of the growth is going to happen or more of these like DeFi native kind of like Aave, Compound, Uniswap, like these DeFi native ventures versus big ventures that already have all the, the network and the economic activity and they can just bring it on chain? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And, and, and to be honest, it's the million dollar question, right? Uh, where does the, where does kind of the adoption come from? And, you know, it's it's something that we we certainly talk about a lot. Uh, when you look at kind of traditional financial institutions, right, and you you imagine kind of, hey, if these players, right, are to enter the space, right, whether that's you know to drive volume up, to to bring more activity, et cetera, right. At some point, it can't be all retail driven, and there's going to need to be a pretty big you know kind of institutional component if you want this to be real, right? If you want it to be more than just kind of a you know, the, the longer tail kind of casino for, for more esoteric bets. And, you know, uh, it, it, it has to be, you know, somewhat grounded in reality and in these kind of real world institutions that are serving kind of these business use cases. Um, so in that sense, could these guys onboard into the existing protocols? Um, certainly they could. And, and a lot of them are making kind of the strides to build more compliant venues or to build institutional focused venues, right? Um, alongside kind of their traditional retail venue. So certainly they're, you know, making the push to bring that that volume on. I think the better question to ask though is ultimately why do they come on? Right? Like not where do they come on? It's like a question of like ultimately, you know, asking why asking why, right? Asks I think a more fundamental question of like what is kind of the the prime mover that brings anybody to adopt any new technology, right? If we assume that crypto has switching costs, just like all technology has switching costs. And, and theoretically, maybe crypto has some, you know, uh, negative brand equity associated with that increases switching costs, right? Then you need to have a pretty compelling uh, value proposition to overcome that friction. So then the question becomes is, what is the most compelling value prop, right, that you can provide uh, that cannot be satiated or, or met by traditional finance, right? And if that's the case, then maybe DeFi really finds its value prop, you know, serving truly in that sense, underserved, in, you know, individuals, underserved retail users, or even underserved institutions, right? For example, we were chatting with a company that was uh, speaking with uh, institutional asset managers specifically that purchase land, right? This undeveloped land. 
Uh, and it's very difficult for these guys to acquire loans from banks because banks don't like to underwrite against just naked right. land, right? There's not, you know, a house on it. There's not a business on it. There's no working asset on it, right? So it becomes a bit more difficult for the for the bank, right? In those scenarios, you might have interest rates for land be significantly higher than if the interest rate uh, for that same piece of land had there been a house on it, right? And in those kind of market failures, theoretically, right, is where things like DeFi might be able to fit in, right, and be able to kind of fix what traditional finance is not willing to touch, right? And in DeFi, maybe that happens because you've just expanded kind of the, the pool of available capital, right? Maybe you've expanded who does underwriting to increase risk appetite, et cetera. But it might be, you know, it's truly something more mechanical, right? For example, we start to see with DeFi, you know, instant settlement, right? And atomic swaps, no counterparty risk, right? Those things might be a value prop, right? That 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 bring individuals on as well, right? But if if you look at it holistically, right, and this is kind of where we spend all of our time is what is that uh, what is that kind of wedge? Um, the one of the biggest or more compelling ones we found is you know just kind of all of the stablecoin that sits around, right? And we've started to see now with companies like Ondo Finance, et cetera, um, that are trying to use that stablecoin, turn it into actual U.S. Treasuries, uh, try to bring Treasuries on chain and, and earn yield there, right? You start to see kind of interesting uh, adoption uh, vectors, right? Of, okay, well, maybe now it makes sense because there is a job to be done for treasuries on chain. And then right. once you bring treasuries on chain, then maybe now it makes sense to bring another type of asset class on chain, right? So it's really, I think you're going to have to piece it together. It's not going to come by any means as a, you know, as a torrent. No, no. I mean, and, and would you say that in your mind, at least right now, one of those main value props is kind of serving the underserved? Because I, I I know like in the narrative it seems sort of tough because it seems like most of the players in DeFi are people who kind of got rich in crypto early on and now they're just kind of spending that money. Um, but it does seem like there is a big value for the underserved and kind of serving that market. But is it happening or like is that just kind of something that could happen potentially? You know, I don't know how, if you have numbers on that. Yeah. There. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, there's certainly a ton of protocols that are trying to go after that kind of opportunity, right? Like lending to non-traditional markets or outside the U.S. markets, right? You have like things like Credix and Goldfinch and uh, et, et cetera, right? That are that are really kind of honing in on that value prop. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. And it's one that I scratch my head a, a, a lot too, right? Because if you kind of think about it at its crux, like what is crypto, right? Like what is blockchain uh and what is the kind of the value prop that it brings to to bear right if you were to say that hey it's digitization and the reduction of cost right the ability to like frictionlessly move money across the world right that makes sense but at the same time theoretically the exact same cost saving can be achieved via you know an internal ledger on a AWS server somewhere, right? For example, like MasterCard, when they want to move money across their rail, right? There's there's not necessarily a cost associated with that, right? Like they control that rail and they're able to move money across accounts, et cetera, right? Of course, there's other institutions that they'll need to touch in that process, but but regardless, the leg that's on their, you know, on in their hands, they can move for free ultimately, right? For very little cost. So then the question becomes is if, you know, cost saving or fee reduction isn't unique, right? Meaning you can achieve the same type of fee reduction by just going to, you know, a digitization or, a, you know, a server somewhere, then what is it? Then, you know, it really has to be kind of this trustless aspect, right? That, hey, the ability to run this system without requiring any kind of intervention or trust of some counterparty, right? So then if trust becomes the value prop, right? 
then the question becomes is who is most in need of kind of trusted systems, right? And in that scenario, it, it almost makes sense that adoption, especially when it comes to things outside of like the social aspects, right? Like the, the web three social, web three entertainment type stuff, especially as you talk about DeFi, it, it makes a ton of sense that that adoption would come from less developed markets, right? Markets where they don't have as trusted counterparties or institutions, whether that's to act as intermediaries, whether to act as, you know, principal brokers, et cetera. Hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, something that I, I think about a lot, right? In terms of like, you know, if it is really a trust question or a value prop of trust, then naturally you'd imagine areas with the largest trust deficit would be the most, uh, you know, most in need. Right. No, that makes sense. And and I guess, I mean, obviously the trustless part is a major feature um, of just the technology in general, but how do you see kind of like, where does regulation fit into that? You know, because obviously there is a big call, especially right around now for regulation, but if it is truly a trustless system, shouldn't it be able to run itself with no regulation or where does that come in? Or am I conflating things there? Yeah, I think I think it's a little a little more complicated than that because you know, again, going back to crypto, right? Like what is blockchain at, at its core? Like it is a trustless technological system, meaning like the technology will continue to run exactly as you expect it to run, right? But ultimately the technology was written by human beings who are not trustless, right? So to me, you know, regulation is meant to govern human action in the same way a blockchain is meant to govern technological action, right? Like we 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 know that what happens on chain theoretically will happen exactly as it's supposed to happen, right? Minus barring any exploit attacks, et cetera, right? But we know that things that should happen as X, Y, Z will happen in a technological manner, X, Y, Z, right? What we don't know is what is XYZ, right? And is XYZ safe for an individual to participate in? Is XYZ kind of, you know, whatever, compliant? Or is it, you know, sending money to a sanctioned party, right? So in that scenario, to me, compliance makes total sense, right? And regulation makes total sense, right? Is because ultimately human beings, which is the key part of this equation, like have not changed. And regulation is not meant for, you know what I mean, for necessarily the technological aspects, but rather to govern human beings that are running or, or kind of using this technology. Yeah. So it's sort of like you have the governing parties to help when you're creating the rails, but then theoretically, once the rails are set and they're governed, they should run on, the, run on themselves. And Exactly, right? Because theoretically, as I said, let's say, for example, I was building some like completely compliant on-chain decks, right? Theoretically, I would have to get some approvals via you know, SEC or the CFTC or whoever it is that I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, or whatever asset I'm looking to exchange in, right? And that approval theoretically is saying, hey... We have looked at kind of this procedure that you as human beings have built, right? This kind of this, this apparatus of uh, this, this technical exchange. We have examined it and we deem that it's meeting X, Y, Z requirements for regulation and compliance that we have, right? And as it runs, we'll continue to meet those regulation requirements. Then exactly to your point, right? It's like almost a, a stamp at the beginning. And it's in a way almost, you know, solves a bit of a compliance issue because theoretically, uh, with the traditional system, you can, you know, be compliant today, but tomorrow start breaching compliance, right? And you won't get caught until the next time somebody does a compliance check on you, right? Whereas in this system, theoretically, you have compliance today, as well as a guarantee of compliance via technical solution into the future, right? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's a great point. It's a great point. Good. Yeah. Um, curious, like, because um, I checked out the Commonwealth crypto background. And like, I think you guys generally have a 
pretty interesting like background compared to most crypto VCs. Like I know one guy was at Teal Macro, you were at 0.72 Ventures, another guy was at Hedge Fund. So a lot of like hedge fund um, macro kind of background. And so I'm just curious, like, yeah, like if you could kind of describe the, just the company a bit and like the unique background, like, you know, how it really plays out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, happy to, to talk about the, the business that the fund does, um, you know, Commonwealth started as a macro fund about a decade right, right. ago. Uh, like I mentioned, um, we run about 2 billion bucks on that side of the house. Uh, the team started trading digital assets about two and a half years ago as an expression of their own macro views, to be honest. I think they had been they've been looking a lot at, you know, the macro events, especially kind of leading off of COVID with kind of uh, inflation increasing and then kind of forecasting a little bit of that. Right. They saw crypto as a very natural both risk on as well as a hedge, uh, just given all, all that was was happening. Um and that's really how they stumbled into the space and, and have stayed active ever since, really. Um, so they continue to trade there. And uh, they had asked me to come on board about six months ago to, to build out the, the venture fund here. Um, to talk about, you know, a, a bit of the, the strategy, at least, you know, I, I bring, of course, you know, a more venture traditional operator right. early stage kind of background. Um, and I think that's, you know, very helpful, of course, on the venture side of the business. Um, on the liquid side of the business, it, you know, this crypto industry is inherently a little bit different than traditional venture because there is kind of this exit horizon that's considerably shorter. Um, there is this component of tokens that theoretically, you know, could go public very, very near to uh, to start that that ultimately are kind of factors or inputs into both valuation as well as kind of your 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 business model almost right. If you're you're taking payments and tokens, et cetera, right? So there's this really big liquid component and. I think the the you know the, the thought we came to is to, to to really invest in crypto properly. You need to have both a liquid and a venture arm. You know the ability to kind of take bets both before token launches, after token launches, to take bets both in equity as well as in tokens. Right. Ultimately, the you know the way we, we like to think about it is you know all of these things are uh, these things are just nails. Right. It's just a question of what hammer do you do you use. Right. Is it a token? Is it an equity? Right. The ability to stay flexible and uh, you know play the space and, and invest in the space as we see most opportunity uh, is kind of what we value most. Yeah. And so for you, like, I know you, you said you focus on the venture side. Um, mm -hmm. What exactly would you say, like, do you feel like you have a conscious idea of what your investing criteria is in the sense, like, here are the things like I look for when, you know, whatever startup XYZ comes to me, like there's a certain checklist. Would you say like, there's that, but also would you, yeah, I guess like, because I've been getting more into like just generally like investing the hedge fund world and it's interesting learning about everyone's different styles. And so I'm sure like VC is just another investing job. And so I'm curious, like, do you feel like you've developed your own style? Like it's kind of an introspective question. Like, would you say a lot of it is just like a certain set of criteria or do you have to kind of just get a feel for the people and like just the project? And there's a lot of like gut instinct to like whether or not this is a good idea to invest or not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fair question. And to your point, everybody has a different bit, you know, investing style, you know, whatever they, whatever diligence, whatever underwriting that they kind of do to come to conviction, right, is, is going to be different. Um, I, I can speak for myself personally. Um, I, I try to minimize my gut as much as I can, right? Like, uh, I, I, to be fair, I think my gut is 
pretty good. Uh, but at the same time, you know, to be able to validate those diligence and kind of conviction points and something that's a bit more concrete, right, uh, tends to bring a bit more more uh, comfort, especially as we think about kind of the strategy that uh, that we do employ. I described it a little bit earlier, right, in that we are very focused on kind of speaking to customers first, right? Not necessarily to companies, right? Like to me, it's, I think it's a disservice to a founder if I'm just meeting, you know, a new company in a random space in Web3 every day, right? And uh, don't really know too much about what it is that's specifically intricate about their business or the market or the customers that they're looking to sell into, right? Um, Instead, we we try to focus on the other side, right? Is to say, hey, for example, we have a, uh, advisor network of uh, luxury fashion and and, and apparel and, and, and e-commerce kind of brands, right? So these are senior executives, leaders, et cetera, across kind of all of these uh, these organizations. And we use them to, to really, to speak with them as a way to one, engage them and to get their feedback and to, to show them what's happening in Web3 and uh, to give them, you know, a pulse of, uh, of new developments. But at the same time, we're able to pick their brain, right? And, and gain feedback from them of, hey, what is painful right now, right? Like what is broken and what are you looking for a solution for that you would pay for? And if you would pay for it, right? Like, is there a way that this could be uniquely solved via a crypto solution, right? So really trying to flip that script and and, and solve backwards, right? And in that scenario, you have a lot more comfort because you can say, hey, we know that this is a pain point because we've spoken to, you know, 15 customers uh, in this segment that all say, yes, this is painful. We know that they're interested in paying for a solution, right? We can go find the right solution and then ultimately introduce them back to the the initial parties to help with business development, continued growth. So in that sense, right, a lot of that can be kind of offloaded from my gut, right? I can I can instead count on the diligence and uh, and the the feedback from, you know, these uh, these advisors that we're able to uh, to respect and, 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 and give value to. Right. So you guys are very like customer centric, like instead of just depending on the startup to tell you, oh, here's a problem we're solving, like you feel like you very you understand the problems very well and you guys like have a um a network of like people in the space or like customers with potential pain points you have a network of companies and you're almost just like ideally like bringing them together like funding the companies that um you think make sense exactly we think of it a lot as bridging the gap right like if you can think of like web3 kind of living in its own bubble whether that's you know us like metamask users trading on dexes and like doing all like nft stuff right like that's like one world and then there's like this whole other world on the other side right where like traditional enterprise right like they 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 have you know they have no appetite for any of that stuff right so it's this question of like well hey there are solutions had they been geared for you guys, right? That that could be useful for your for your context or for whatever goals you're trying to accomplish. So it's a question of really trying to speak both languages, right? On one hand, it's you know speaking the crypto native language, and on the other hand, it's speaking you know traditional business business leaders and and kind of the pains that they're experiencing and and trying to bring them together in a way that benefits both sides, right? Both the the businesses that are now having a solution as well as the companies that are looking to provide those solutions in in a crypto aspect. Super cool. No, I mean, it's, a, it's an awesome model. I mean, I know, like, from speaking with past VCs, like, it seems constantly like the, the goal is like, how many founder meetings can I do today? And how many founder meetings, if I'm going to do a 1000 deals, I have to do 50 meetings a day or something like that. And this just this just seems like a really cool way to flip that in a way more intentional way. Um, but I guess sort of with that, like, could you walk us through maybe a day in your life or a week in your life working with in for Commonwealth and, and crypto VC, I guess, not necessarily more generally, because you guys seem to take a different approach. But um, what is sort of like your, your day-to-day uh, just as we have a 
fair amount of club members interested in the space and I know campus members as well. So, um, yeah, we'll have to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the day to day, I think there's, there's probably like, you know, large buckets of, uh, you know, time where, where it's spent. And I'd say that, you know, kind of the, of course, there's going to be a big bucket spent just engaging in with our network that we, you know, we've, we've continued to build. Uh, and that's to, you know, continue to source new problems, to speak to them about their challenges, right? Uh, really trying to, whether that's expand that network, whether that's try to provide more engaging kind of experiences for them, whether that's, you know, hosting a talk or, uh, you know, hosting an event for, for you know, this advisor network. We try to really uh, bring those people together and, and bring value to them uh, uh, that they can, you know, really take with them into their into their own traditional businesses. Um, so that's probably a big, big Part of the the focus, right, is is continuing to to really ideate on problems, especially given our, our strategy is very problem focused, right, and uh, and problem first. Uh, and then, of course, the second part is well, once we have those areas that we do find thematically interesting, right, then it's to go back and say, okay, now where are companies within this space, right? And that is a mixture of either speaking to founders or speaking to to other investors, right, uh, to really understand and and, and get introduced uh, to these companies that are, you know, solving in, in, in areas that we're, we're particularly interested in. So a big portion of that time is spent just, of course, talking to them, doing diligence on them, right? Taking back their findings to our network, speaking with them to really ground out all of that, that stuff, right? So that's probably another big piece of it, right? Is, is, is that uh, the meetings with founders and diligence, and of course, kind of the internal diligence process that goes along with that, right? Whether that's, you know, meeting with the rest of the team, getting them up to speed, uh, iterating on questions kind of actively as a team, taking that back to the founder, getting those answered, right? So I'd say, you know, just diligence, of course, is going to be a, a, a part of that component. Yeah. Um, and, and then finally, you know, I'd say uh, there's a part of my job, which is just to, you know, like, in my opinion, it's like the the part where you're trying to see what what happens in the future, right? Like the future telling part of it is, like really spending time reading and speaking with with individuals that are kind of building more on the frontier or the edges, right? And trying to see what is it that comes out next? What is it that's getting unlocked, right? And, you know, for I saw that firsthand when like, I still remember when, uh, you know, the 721 uh, EIP dropped, right? And NFTs were introduced, right? And like, that was kind of the, the back of that. And it was, you know, what kicked off my my thought around that, you know, digital titling space, et cetera, et cetera. But all that to say, you know, as these new technological innovations happen, you know, problem statements appear, right? Solution spaces appear. Um, all of that is is something that obviously, you know, you'd want to stay on top of just as, as you see it impact both your existing portfolio, whether that's future companies that you're going to see, whether that's, you know, the advisors and the companies that you're, you know, traditional companies and, and how that might impact their business, et cetera. Right. Oh, it's super cool. I mean, I love kind of your your guys focus on sort of like sourcing problems over sourcing deals. You know, it just seems like that's really cool. Um, but so stepping and stepping back a little bit more, um, what 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 sort of went into your decision to kind of join, um, say, Commonwealth over um, a bigger fund? And or obviously Commonwealth itself is a big fund, but the Commonwealth crypto, um, relatively smaller team compared to a, a Pentera or a Paradigm. Um, how do you think about that, like a more small boutique versus bigger name, bigger fund? And what are your thoughts on that for, say, uh, college, uh, Dartmouth Junior, Dartmouth Senior, kind of looking at at those options and thinking like, OK, what are the what, what's the what's the move there? You know, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting, um, especially because. 
you, you know, like the, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, the the folks at Point72, uh, Pete Casello, Trip Shriner, you know, those, those guys were both super, super sharp venture investors. And the way that they approached venture was, was a bit different, right? As you know, as you can even see kind of our own strategy is a bit different than, than traditional venture, right? Um, in that they were, they were very thoughtful in the, t- the types of things that they invested in and, and really tried to ground these companies in real pain points that they had diligenced and, and come to conviction on. So, you know, I think the, probably the biggest thing is wherever you do join as an early investor, you're going to learn habits, right? Uh, because every place has, you know, tendencies, et cetera, right? So whether that's learning or unlearning, you know, past tendencies, whatever that is, there's there's certain ways that they invest, certain areas that they're more interested in than others. So that's naturally going to be adopted by the firm you join. And when you join a more established, you know, firm, then of course, those, those things are a bit more cemented, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think what attracted me to Commonwealth specifically was, of course, they had a liquid component, but the venture arm had been uh, you know, they, they had raised a fund, but they hadn't really invested much of it, right? Just because they were liquid guys and they 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 wanted somebody that was more dedicated to venture and had a venture background. So the ability to kind of step into that role and, and really shape the strategy fundamentally, right? And that means, hey, let's focus on problems instead of trying to find the next, you know, hot, shiny thing or the next token that's going to pump or the next DeFi protocol with like, you know, some crazy super inflation token that, you know, is going to do great, you know? So like, I, I think it's just a little bit of a different game that, that, we wanted to play at, at, at Commonwealth. And uh, um, that was, I think, the the biggest, you know, boon of uh, of joining is really kind of the flexibility and the ability to define culture, strategy, and focus. Yeah. No, so, and then I guess like, um, <clears throat> like, and on that part, like for a first-year analyst, you know, do you think, um, first of all, would you advise people to come into crypto VC or try to get to crypto VC directly out of school or would you advise sort of the more the path that you took which was more traditional i guess with first yc but then the traditional banking route into crypto vc and if it is into crypto vc do you recommend the bigger name first kind of gain those skills or try to get more hands-on as hands-on as you can get um potentially in a more boutique firm i don't know how do you how do you feel about that yeah um it's so it's interesting the in terms of just jumping freight from undergrad to crypto vc certainly possible. And if that's kind of your end goal, then like, by all means, right? Like you, you should definitely run for it and, and, and take it if that's the opportunity. Um, I will say, I think I would have done myself a disservice if I joined straight out undergrad to a venture fund, hmm. specifically because there was just so much that I didn't know, right? So much in like the company building process, especially in those early days and what it takes to, to really build a company and, and, you know, kind of build that flywheel, right? Whether that's, you know, your customer acquisition flywheel, whether that's your product flywheel, right? These, these kind of key kind of pieces of the business of how do you go from, you know, $0 in revenue to your first dollar, right? Is uh, it's a very different exercise than going from $100 in revenue to $1,000 in revenue, right? And which is again, different exercise than going from 1000 to X, right? So right. each of these kind of journeys is going to be inherently different, right? Just based on the stage you're in. And to me, you know, the earliest stages are the ones that I'm the most interested and excited by, and uh, the one that I've spent the most time in building and, and you know, working at companies and, you know, at Arcus, et cetera, right? Um, so that to me is an area that, you know, I feel like I have a bit more domain expertise and, and ability to add a bit more value and that, uh, you know, I can I can actually speak to the challenges and, and, and understand and empathize and, and provide solutions from, 
similar challenges that we have faced, right? And in, uh, in kind of problems that are faced by early stage founders. Uh, so, you know, all that to say, by all means, right? Like go for it. But I think there's there's probably some learnings that need to happen in order to be able to be a good investor, right? To be able to understand like what what is it about a, a, a company that, enables them to make that, you know, that jump across, you know, the first, that first customer or that first, you know, million dollars in ARR, et cetera. Um, so maybe that's, that's one part of your answer. The second part is if you were to go to banking, what would you do post-banking? Was that kind of the, the, the yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question as well. I, I think the, uh, the point goes back to what do you want to do, right? Like ultimately, if you want to, if you want to be an investor and invest in in in, in good companies, and uh, you know, ultimately want to be able to 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 speak with you know the best founders in the space, and it certainly helps to join a, a reputed venture fund, right? Point seventy two was super helpful in that regard, right? And, and just opening doors and uh, helping you kind of just get meetings with uh, theoretically you know anybody that you you want to chat with, right? It's uh it's it's a lot easier to get it when you have kind of a name brand at the end of your email, um, so that is certainly a huge boon. Uh, but of course, it, it also comes with the cost, right? And that cost comes at like, you know, of course, it's going to be a bit more rigid. It's not going to be as flexible, you know, things are strategy is already going to be a bit more defined, right? You're more kind of executing on a strategy rather than trying to define a strategy or find necessarily novel investments, right? And of course, you'll, you know, you certainly try to find, you know, new and source new investments, but um, those constraints might be set by people outside of, of you, right? So I think it's a question of, you know, just deciding like, you know, what, what is it that you're looking for? What's the kind of investing style you want, especially in the early stages, I think you should optimize for learnings over, over anything else. Right. So it's really helpful to go learn from somebody that's very, very sharp at venture. Right. And that can kind of give you a little bit of, a little bit of a framework and a guidance and, and kind of some, some learnings uh, just so you don't have to make all the same mistakes. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. No, great advice. Um, all, run with the, the yeah, yeah. 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 All right. So uh, I guess, so to finish up here, a um, few rapid, rapid fire questions. So no, no set time limit or word length, but however rapid fire you want to make them. Um, first off, Bitcoin maximalism, rapid fire thoughts on a BTC maxi. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it. Uh, you know, you like crypto as a, you know, kind of a monetary system. And that's, that's all, you know, you, you want it to be. Um, I think it's, it's, it's kind of ironic, right? Because it's like you're okay with like some paradigm shift, but like too much paradigm shift is like you know garbage or shitcoin or altcoin, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it's just I think it's just keeping an open mind. I'm, I try not to be a maximalist about anything, and and hopefully none of us are maximalists about you know in general, right? Anything. Uh, I, I think most things in the world aren't dealt with in absolutes, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of silly to to apply that lens to you know something as open ended as a financial system. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, the state of crypto regulation. Thoughts on thoughts on where we're at there. Crypto. Yeah, uh, definitely confused. Confusing. Uh, it's why we, to be honest, probably think twice before investing in anything that has anything that touches regulation, just because of that lack of clarity. Right. We've been spending a ton more time in uh, consumer stuff. We've been spending a ton more time in like kind of traditional enterprise uh, solutions, etc. Just given there's not that regulatory ambiguity there. Yeah. Two more here. Um, an interesting project you've seen recently that we should check out. Uh, interesting project, certainly. Um, 
was chatting with these guys called Claim. Uh, they're working on some really interesting stuff. Long story short, we'd been kind of exploring this 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 uh, idea of tradable offers, right, or the ability to kind of take offers that you know uh, merchants give users and the ability to actually transact in those, right? And we've heard that for a while, right? Like you know miles and like you know oh if you could bring miles on blockchain, etc. Uh, so these guys claim doing some really interesting stuff. Essentially, uh, they're able to just airdrop an NFT that's a coupon or offer to you know their their users or uh, of their application. So every week, uh, it's very very Web two friendly in that you know you don't see crypto anywhere. It uses Plaid to figure out where do you shop and then gives you offers tailored to that. Uh, really, as a top of funnel customer acquisition tool. But they built this whole trading, buying, selling aspect into it. Uh, and are starting to see a ton of traction on that side too. Um, so they they just launched at Harvard campus, uh, I think two months ago, um, and now slowly expanding to, to other schools in the Boston Northeast area. And uh, we'll see how they do. Yeah. Good. Hopefully they come to Dartmouth. Yeah. That's dope. <laughs> yeah. Um, and last one here, your one piece of advice to a Dartmouth blockchain core member. So I don't know if you want to pick a certain year or um, anything like that, but one piece of advice that comes off the top of the head. Yeah, one piece of advice. Um, you know, I'd say it's crypto is just a, it's an interesting space because it's so it's you know so sentiment driven, um, and you, you it's palpable, right? Like you 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 feel the sentiment when it's a bull run. Things are things are a bit different. Things are a lot chirpier, and uh, everyone seems to be a lot happier, and uh, and of course vice versa, right? So all to say, you know. Uh, with crypto, there's like this inherent casino that continues to run in the background, right? And it's the casino is fun. The casino brings people in, but you know, don't just focus on the casino, right? Like the and don't let the casino dictate your own emotions or feelings, right? It's like you, you really try to look for what are kind of those those actual solutions that are addressing real problems and and continue to build and stay kind of committed to those because ultimately those are those are meaningful problems, right? Sure. No, hundred percent. Search for the real stuff and keep yeah. building through the bear. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was super fun. Really, really cool. So thank you for taking the time. And um, yeah, I don't know anywhere people can find you on Twitter, Telegram, any, anything you want to drop there or stuff you want to drop? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a Twitter. Uh, it's uh, AZ uh, Hussein one I believe. Let me just check. Um, to be honest, I don't tweet too much, but I do retweet a fair bit, I guess. Um, yes, AZ Hussein one H U S S A I N. Okay. Um, so yeah, feel free to follow me on Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I uh, I tend to do a lot of just kind of thinking on whether that's crypto, whether that's especially now you kind of see this whole AI aspect, and the computer scientist in me, you know, kind of starts playing around and dabbling with the open AI APIs, etc. So you know, all of this stuff, you know, is is just super interesting. What 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 a time to be alive, uh, you know, and it's an exciting time to be joining the workforce and getting to to make the choice of you know where do i spend my time and where do i take my talent so you know i think you guys are all in a, an awesome spot and at an awesome time huge no thank, thank you so much yeah thank you all righty awesome, well, we'll talk soon thank Very you guys nice. see ya yeah.